Hi, this week I'm sharing with you an interview that covered a lot of terrain, from going through grad school with a disability, to the importance of networking during grad school and after, to the challenges of building a consultancy business based on your research. Stick around until the end, because my guest story is well worth listening to. Before going on with the interview, I just want to share two messages. First, I'd really love to have your feedback on the show. So if you can spare a couple of minutes, please go to papaphd.com forward slash survey and answer the questions I've prepared for you. It will really help me improve on the show. Second, I just wanted to warn you that Stephanie's recording has some mic noises throughout that I couldn't edit out. They don't detract from the value of our conversation, but I just wanted you to know. Happy listening. My postdoc advisor and I, we sat down and we kind of talked about how like, I really like the product aspect of things, of having something at the end to make better and to get out there so that I can see change um, instead of finding the theoretical components of something. Um, Because of all my networking and connections, I ended up going into assessment and writing a standardized assessments for states um, and becoming a content lead there and learning more about project management and managing stakeholders and things like that. Um, And I just, I really liked it. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So... Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week uh, on the show, I have with me Stephanie Ryan. Stephanie is the author of a new children's STEM book titled Let's Learn About Chemistry. She has her PhD in learning sciences and is a curriculum and assessment specialist. She owns her consulting business, Ryan Education Consulting LLC, and uh, you'll see that she has very interesting um, stories and very interesting insights to share about her PhD, about certain events uh, that that, uh, she went through during the PhD. And also, uh, then, we're going to talk about how, after her PhD, she she went on to develop the professional activities that she is uh, leading today. So, welcome to Papa PhD, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm super happy to have you here uh, today. We're going to touch on on things that uh, that uh, that I haven't uh, that I haven't had conversations about on the show, um, but I won't spoil them. Uh, I will <laughs> let you. Uh, I will let you quickly talk about uh, yourself. Present yourself. Talk about how you got uh, into into science and into education. And yeah, so ju- just simply imagine the the listeners out there. And uh, and uh, just tell them who you are and how you you got to to the to where you are to your PhD and to where you are today. Um, so look, that's a long story. I hope we have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as a child, I always really liked science, and chemistry was challenging for me in school, and that was something I loved because I didn't find school challenging at all. It was mm-hmm. pretty boring. I just showed up, got my grades, and moved on. But chemistry. There was just something to it that it helped explain things around me and it was more complicated and the mm-hmm. standards were higher for us in that class. So I started to think like, hey, I think I'd like to go to school for this. Um, and I went to St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, mm-hmm. entered the uh, chemistry program there, uh, probably because I thought I wanted to be pre-med like most people <laughs> start yeah. out in a pre-something <laughs> program. And I really liked chemistry. So I switched over into that. And during that process, I had to TA mm-hmm. a nursing chemistry course because it was part of my student aid package for college. Okay. And I was working with a nun who, because we're on campus, <laughs> um, St. Mary's is a Catholic university, or a Catholic college. Okay. Uh, she's a nun and a PhD. And she oh, wow. was um, focusing on the nursing students. And mm-hmm. so I got to help her set up labs for nursing students. And she let me create these contexts that were just really fun. I loved it. Like teaching 
concentration to nursing students in a context that would be better for them than maybe a chemistry major lab would be. There's just a presenting information in different ways than I was used to. It was just kind of a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. And she was just this fantastic mentor. She pulled me aside and said, you know, I think you've got a knack for this. Have you ever thought about teaching? Mm-hmm. I said, no. Like I'm, My dad <laughs> wants me to become a doctor. No, I haven't done this. And um, she sat down with my academic advisor and we, I'm a junior at this point, and mm-hmm. they are like, you know, this is a small uni- a small campus, and we are able to maybe put you through a program quickly to become a teacher, if that's what you oh, want to wow. do. Okay. And so they condensed a schedule for me. My junior year was, oh man, it was packed. You know, junior year chemistry, <laughs> like PCHEM, I had genetics for biology, like it was a mm-hmm. lot of work. And um, I was also taking probably about two years worth of education classes all in one one semester. Like it was crazy. (laughs) And um, I still really liked it. And I got to do some student teaching and I really liked it. And I started to think, hmm, maybe there is something to this. Um, And then I did a summer REU because that was required at my, my, uh, my program to get my degree was to do some sort of summer research. Mm -hmm. And I really liked doing bench chemistry. And I was like, shoot, Hmm. this kind of switches things up for me. What do I want to do with this? (laughs) So I applied to graduate schools to get a master's because I didn't think I wanted a PhD. I felt Mm -hmm. like that was just further along than I wanted to go with it. But I I definitely wanted to do more. Um, And so I applied and I got into all five of my choices, which I was surprised, which um, you have (laughs) with the imposter syndrome where I was like, wow, really? People want me? And so I chose based on the fact that University of Illinois at Chicago had this really cool National Science Foundation program uh, Mm -hmm. where they put graduate students in classrooms in Chicago public schools. And it was part of this effort to get scientists to be able to better speak to the public about their research. So if you can talk to a 10-year-old about your research, you can talk to the general public, like Mm -hmm, just kind of getting that out there. And it might make you um, care a little more about the education in the town of whatever institution you end up at, you know, like to kind of build these relationships. Yeah. And this was part of the curriculum? The, this, it was uh, training a fellowship. It, it was, was a fellowship. A, yeah, that I was able to apply for wow. as I came in. So I interviewed cool. for both at the same. Um, and I got this fellowship and I was like, oh, well, then this is definitely where I want to go. That's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can do this on the side, this education thing that I still wanted to do. And I can still do some bench chemistry. So mm-hmm. it, it was kind of like Win-win. <laughs> it was. It was kind of win-win. Um, and I worked on my master's. And it was in analytical chemistry. So then I started to get really sick. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I went to, I'm trying to think of when this hit. Uh, my mom and I were in Las Vegas celebrating my birthday, I remember. And we went on a helicopter ride. And I just okay. did not feel great after this helicopter ride. And I was like, something's off. I'm not feeling great. And then I just started having all these health problems. Mm-hmm. And I went to the doctor. I'm really healthy at the time, other than this. And I have headaches. I can't sleep. I'm feeling sick all the time. And they can't figure it out. And one day mm-hmm. I I go numb on half of my body. And I'm like, okay, oh, wow. this is not normal for a 23-year-old. Like, I'm just going to go to the hospital. So I went to the ER and they were able to run all these tests on me that I wouldn't have been able to get into. Like, my appointment still wasn't even, hadn't happened for the neurologist yet. And they found that I had a Chiari malformation which is where my cerebellum sits on top of my brainstem, but herniates down into it a little bit. And it presses on a bunch of different systems in your brainstem. Um, And so that's why I was having all these really odd symptoms. But the thing with it is, if it progresses too quickly, it can cause paralysis. And mine had, had such an onset um, when I was 23, that they were like, this is happening too quickly. You have to have the surgery. I mean, they oh, can't wow. force me to, but they were like, this is what you need strongly, to Strongly, yeah, strongly advise you to, for sure, for sure. Just to, yeah. Just, this was in the f- your first year in the program, in the PhD program? Um, no, I think master's. it was after my first year in my master's, yeah. So I'd been there for a year. Okay. Um, and, but and it, wor- it worked out because my um, campus was part of a study um, on Chiari malformation surgeries. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay, talk about uh, synchronicities. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I had one of the best people in the nation working on it, and I was part of a trial mm -hmm. of where um, I they were testing out smaller incision sites mm -hmm. on recovery time. Um, and so I got it all for free, wow. like because I was part of the study. And so I didn't have to worry about bills and things like that. It's amazing. Um, because I was still doing the education stuff, I could still work on my PowerPoints and presenting and things from afar because mm -hmm. you can do things online. Um, and so I was able to keep my summer stipends and things like that. But I, I healed that summer, obviously. Um, and when I came back on campus, I tried my hardest to become 100% again, mm -hmm. but it just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't carry my books to some of my classes. I still wasn't fully recovered. So that first semester back, I took like a half a half load. Mm. And um, one of the professors there, she moved one of the classes to a building closer to me so that I could make it work. It was um, she was a great mentor as well. Uh, like we were talking great mentors. Um, I was in Chicago alone. My family wasn't there. And um, we really... Um, I guess hit it off, I would say, like, just she always cared about how my health was. And she's a great person. And I'd help her family with things. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of became the surrogate mom in Chicago for me. <laughs> and she brought my family things when they were in the hospital with me. And so she would come to appointments sometimes and help me out with things like that. Um, so I definitely had this awesome support network. But when I was in the hospital, I looked at my dad and I remember telling him, I don't want to do this anymore. Can I switch gears. I want to get a PhD in learning sciences and do something I really want to do. Like life is too short. I don't want to do bench chemistry. This is not my jam. I would rather move into this other thing. And he was like, you do whatever you makes you happy. Like I agree life is so short. And um, then I started into the learning sciences program. I was the first one in it and I was the first graduate out of it. At the same, at the same university. At the same university, just in a different department. Okay. And did you, you know, because you're saying that you were, you know, you're having a hard time, we're like resuming or, or getting back to the, the productivity that you had before. Did you end up taking a break? Uh, or, uh, you know, how did you navigate that part of, okay, I first I'm reassessing whether I want to do what I'm doing, which was the, the, the bench chemistry. And, uh, and second, you know, physically I'm recovering from something How did you, yeah, how did you manage that? And also, if you maybe want to talk about that, how did your peers, maybe your supervisor, uh, you know, how did they, were they supportive? How, how was, how did they, how did it go on that side, the transition, let's say? I would say my peers were super supportive. Um, they all, everyone in my group came and visited every day while I was in the hospital and they checked on me and helped me with things. Mm -hmm. Um, I have numbness still on my left side and we would play catch while we were studying um, <laughs> to help build my strength in my left hand. Okay. And like um, everyone was super supportive. The um, person running the project, a little less so. Mm. Um, he thought I was going to read papers in the hospital and catch up on lit reviews and stuff. And it was like, I can barely walk. Mm. Um, and there were a few times They were times counting where... on you to, to, you know, to keep working on the project and, and, and bringing it forward. But... Essentially, yeah, and needed a little reminding from some of my my peers that hey, she can barely walk. Like, can you mm. take a step back? You know. Um, so, I think that ultimately everyone kind of got on board mm -hmm. that this is going to take a little longer because I had I had my education advisor kind of help okay. with that okay. a little bit, um, help me manage that situation, but. Yeah, it took me three years to do my master's program because of the brain surgery, but I also did a few of my um, PhD coursework in okay. there at the same time. So okay. it kind of overlapped. Um, but yeah, it definitely took a lot longer. It was very difficult to just get over that hump mm. um, because, I mean, that's a, it was quite the hump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, so you, like you say, you, you had already started taking some courses for the, the PhD. Uh, so I guess the, the transition was seamless at that time to the PhD program in education. It was because I was the first. That's cool. um, because I was the first, we kind of discussed this during the process of my transition. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, well, I know we're going to need these XYZ classes mm -hmm. for it. And since you're the only one taking it, we could do this first. Or like, <laughs> oh, there are two of you now. Okay, let's do this. Um So it was seamless in that regard mm -hmm. and that my education advisor was 
one of the people running that program. Okay. So we always kind of had that in mind once I switched gears. Um, but in terms of time and balance, that was tough mm. uh, because they're just two different sets of expectations and only one me. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you deal it with that? Like, a, 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 like five years to do the PhD, six years? Uh... Um, I think it ended up being, let's see, after... It was five year, four years after I finished the master's. Okay. So it was seven in total to get both. Yeah, well, um, it, it, it makes sense. Especially you, you also, you changed, you switched gears, like you said. But uh, so you were talking about finding balance and uh, and uh, being able to manage the, because in the, in the PhD, the, I imagine the, the, the pace is different. Like you say, the expectations are different. So... How did you? What were the the solutions you found you found to, you know, make it happen, and still uh, be comfortable with the limitations you had that that we ju that we just mentioned, uh, but um, yeah, but keeping the the physical health, mental health in check, and and to, to go towards uh, you know finishing writing and defending. I would say that. In terms of balance, that's something that I've just recently, <laughs> probably 12 years later, started to even begin to understand how to do. But um, a few of the things that I did, I made sure that I had, um, I, one of the things in the conference world, we all have friends mm -hmm. at conferences that you only see every once in a while, yep. is that I want people who can turn it off, that that's not all they do is talk about the research. Um, and so like my group, my core group of people in the field, we are able to talk about life and other things that interest us. And it's not just about our research. Um, and that's always been really important to me mm -hmm. is to be able to turn it off at the end of the day. And I know a lot of people like uh, in my core group in grad school, they ended up marrying other graduate students okay. where I did not. Um, I dated outside and ended <laughs> up marrying someone who's a business person instead okay. so that we have different interests that we can help each other grow. And like, I've helped him more in the education side of things and he's helped me in the business side of things. Cool. Like, and um, just the, the being able to have an outlet that is not academia yeah. is so important. And to have, yeah, conversations that are somewhere outside of that, of that sphere. <laughs> the other thing, like you said, of addressing limitations, um, that I ended up, that was a little difficult for me and I got a lot better at it was embracing the difficulty mm -hmm. That just like making it known, like, hey, everyone, I had brain surgery. I can't lift things that are over 40 pounds. Like, I can't do this. Stress can give me a headache. So I'm going to be pretty honest if I'm stressed out. Mm -hmm. Like, just being open about it. And so I got really involved with the fundraising teams for my what I've got, Kiari. Mm -hmm. And then we had teams every year so that my entire support network was always involved in that. Cool. Um, and then I was also helping get the word out and I felt like I was moving forward in that direction um, that other people could get diagnosed earlier and um, have advocacy for it. Um, and so those things helped me have a life outside of it mm -hmm. that then helped me like okay there's life outside of this let's mm -hmm. finish this up <laughs> <laughs> very cool very cool and um you know along the way we, you know, we've talked masters we've talked phd and soon we're going to talk about what came after but um you know i imagine you've had uh, mentors along the way in, in, in academic terms and maybe you're going to talk after about the professional side you already kind of alluded to the fact that your husband has helped you in, on the business side right so that's some sort of mentorship but what about um yeah mentorship during uh, during graduate school how do you have what do you have to share on on that side of things because it's always it's not not everyone has super uh, you know a uh, super interesting or super uh, different stories to tell about mentorship but um, in your case i i imagine it might have been important at some points. Yes, very much so. Um, my advisor for my doctorate degree was the chair of the department. Mm -hmm. He was um, at one point in time chair of our division of ACS. And he knew everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and he would share that. 
um, the fact that he knew everybody, he would always include you in a conversation. Uh, One night we were at a conference and he was going out to dinner with his core group of friends and invited me along. And so I was the only grad student there and I got to build these relationships with other people who had graduate students. And so when opportunities come up, they know my strengths and they'll say, hey, I think you'd be great for this. Or um, so it's just building these relationships out. Um, that was so important in him showing the importance of that networking, but also sharing the spotlight of saying, you know, like, yeah, this was a great thing, but my grad student actually did a lot of it and she deserves some credit of like thinking of things in that way. Um, I, I've carried that with me of giving credit where credit is due, not assuming it because you were in charge. Um, that was something that was, um, really good. And he's helped me find so many opportunities. Like one of my big projects I'm on right now was because he introduced me to someone. Um, and it's just introductions on introductions. And they all started a long time ago at probably that conference where I ended up going out to dinner. Um, and then my, uh, postdoc advisor, I met at a, an international conference, my postdoc advisor before he was, I went to this conference and my, my PhD advisor, I applied without him knowing <laughs> because I, I didn't know if he'd say yes. And I wanted to have it in my back pocket. But oh, look, I got accepted to a Gordon Research Conference internationally. Like you should you should let me go to this, you know. And um, he did. He let me go. I got a little lecture about how don't do that in the future. That's not a great. <laughs> I don't really like that you did that. But while I was at the conference, I met my now, well, later postdoc advisor, and I got to see the world. So I left the US and was like, oh, okay, there are other things out here. People do research in different ways. There are different theoretical frameworks. The US is not an island and it's there's there's more out there. And so my postdoc advisor ended up switching universities to where I was, like of all places. And he had remembered that's where I was. Um, and it was like, hey, I'm starting up this project and I think you'd be great for it. What do you think? And I was like, how fortuitous is this that I'm about to graduate, my funding is almost done, and this project that I really like, like just here it is. And it was all because, yeah, it was and it's it's hard to think of it be like that it was because of things about me that like added up that way. They didn't fall, but that's how it felt. Like it fell into my lap, but it was like, oh, wow, this is great. So I actually started that postdoc at the same time as finishing my degree. Um, and so I was doing both and I was leading that dual life. I was saying, you know, like chemistry and <laughs> I was doing both. And um, he used um, my postdoc advisor would come up over my shoulder and he'd say, I could pay you twice as much if you just turn that thing in and <laughs> hearing that a lot and like highlighting the fact that I'm already doing everything I would have been doing. Like I've, I've got it. I just got to turn it in. And so I pulled all nighters and I focused and I finished and it was, um, his mentorship has been really good in the sense of project management, time management. Um, and then making sure there's a product at the end to gauge whether you've completed what you set out to accomplish. Um, so I've had these two great academic mentors in grad school that I still keep in touch with both of them. (laughs) So basically what Stephanie just said boils down to this, go outside your circle. It can be a conference. It can be a seminar in another department, or these days it can be an online event. The advantages are many. You'll break your routine. You'll socialize with new like-minded people and you'll expand your network. And that's where the magic happens, in those unplanned organic interactions. I then asked Stephanie about the turning point, the moment during her postdoc when she realized she wasn't going to follow the academic path. But before going back to the interview, I just want to let you know of a promotion offer that I received for all of the Papa PhD listeners. If you need graphics or animations for your research, or if you're creating scientific content of any kind, Scientist Studio reached out to me to offer 10% off of any of their services, from whiteboard animations and script writing, to social media management, and conference launch packages. To get the 10% off, all you need to do is go to scientist.studio, with two T's, the link is in the show notes, and use the promo code PAPAPHD in one word at checkout. 
And now, back to our interview. So in, in part one of our conversation, we, would, we talked uh, about your uh, uh, academic path, uh, your academic journey, Stephanie. And we, at the end, we were talking about your postdoc and the luck you had in having mentors that were really looking out for you and, uh, and kind of uh, making you achieve new, new and better things all the time, which is always a precious thing to have. But um, by the end of your postdoc, uh, because I know <laughs> that you ended up leaving academia at that, at that time, something uh, in you kind of pointed towards uh, a, a different way. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what that was, what that turning point was? Yeah, definitely. Um, my postdoc, we developed a curriculum and my job on the curriculum was to see what it was like in the wild, <laughs> um, see how it was used, interview students, teachers, and then make design changes based on that to the team. So it was design-based research. So I still did a lot of the qualitative research, um, but I also helped develop this product. And I was in charge of, um, gosh, I feel like we had 15 sites, I think, that we were collecting data. We had five graduates. Like we just, we had a big team and I was in charge of handling all that data collection. And I was really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was something that was weird for academics that I liked it. Okay. And it was just like this point of conversation, like, huh, you're kind of good at this thing that I, I isn't really a big thing in academia. I mean, every grant project needs some project management, but that's not a huge component of it. Um, and so my postdoc advisor and I, we sat down and we kind of talked about how like, I really like the product aspect of things of having something at the end to make better and to get out there so that I can see change um, instead of finding the theoretical components of something. Um, and I, we talked about what that could look like for me. And because of all my networking and connections, I had already done, you know how there are always um, side consulting projects of like for textbook companies to look at items and things like that. There's just, they're all out there. Um, so I was able to reach out to one and I ended up going into assessment and writing a standardized assessments for states um, and becoming a content lead there and learning more about project management and managing stakeholders and things like that. Um, and I just, I really liked it. I like that it's different every day. Um, I like that a state gives you a set of standards and they say, okay, make some new contexts and I get to learn new things. Um, and then again, it's that person component, like where it's, I get to see the teachers as they read them, I get to hear how their students do. It has an impact on some students' lives. And I get to use my education to do it. So it's not, there's no A, B, C, or D just to like trick kids. It's the A, B, C, or D tells me whether or not you you think concentration is the opposite of what it is, um, that you've got them inverted or things like that, like to actually give some insight into what a student does. Um, and so that furthered my, my love of this, this side of things. Um, and I ended up breaking off and going on my own and just writing items and developing curricular materials full time. Okay. Um, I started my own company um, and it was through all those networking opportunities because every time someone leaves a company mm -hmm. and you have a relationship with them, they, you still of know course. them. And then they say, oh, hey, I know this person. Why don't we contact them? And so it just keeps building out, building out. And that's how I first mm -hmm. started is I reached out to places that I knew like, hey, is there anything going on that you might be able to throw my way? And I ended up really um, working on the chemistry and context book for the American Chemical okay, Society. Well. And that relationship grew. And this year I was one of the co-editors of the lab manual. Very cool. Um, and so that's just something that because I've networked at these events and I knew people and then we just, so every time I go to a conference, I make time and I set that time aside to speak to people and say, hey, what's going mm -hmm. on? And remind people that I'm still there and that's still something I'm interested in. And then... <clears throat> Occasionally, I have a booth at an expo okay. and people can come to me or sometimes I have a friend man my booth for me and I walk around with my card mm -hmm. to booths like, hey, 
have you have you met me (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of the hard part of doing what i do because i don't like that component um but yeah it's i would say I I don't even, it's funny. I wouldn't even say I like to Mm -hmm. network. I just, I understand its value. Um, I'm an introvert and conferences drain me. And I love going to conferences with my friends who are also introverts where we sit in silence (laughs) and like recharge (laughs) together. Um, But it's something that I've just practiced. Um, It was something that it's one of those things I learned from my husband from his field I remember there was a speaker who came on campus and they were having a dinner and they invited grad students to come Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And I said, no, and he couldn't believe it. He was like, are you serious? You're missing this opportunity to speak with this person Mm -hmm. who like, what? And he was, he started explaining about networking to me because I hadn't really thought too much about it. I was taking it for granted the amount of networking I had already Mm -hmm. done. Um, And now I make a point of it um, to make sure I'm networking and that I help grad students understand the importance of it. So we have networking events um, in American Chemical cool. Society that are geared toward teaching you to network a little better. Um, there was one where we had where people would interrupt conversations okay. with people trying to like get in them. And it's like, <laughs> don't do that. That's bad. Um, and then also, don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Like, some of my best conversations have been like, do you know, I cited you in my talk yesterday. <laughs> I would love to hear more, you know, or things like that. Um, they're just people just mm-hmm. like we are. And it's, um, yeah, networking is definitely, you have to stay stay on top of that. Otherwise, you lose out on trends mm-hmm. in the field. You don't have those collaborations. And, yeah. and what about with, you yeah. know, with COVID, we're all stuck at home, mostly like all around the world. And you can't go to conferences physically. How how have you been dealing with that? Because I see that, and I feel, I'm feeling that networking is something that you feel was has been very important and is very important. And being an introvert like like you, I also, you know, know that for me it's kind of draining in a way. It's an effort, and it doesn't come naturally. But how about in these times of, of, of with the COVID pandemic? How have you been dealing with that? Or are you on pause and just recharging these days? It's kind of a combination of both. <laughs> um, this year was going to be a very big year for me because I had published my book. Um, and because it's about chemistry, I was so excited to yeah. share it at the two chemistry conferences because I thought, what a great souvenir for people to walk away with. So it was kind of like, Those were going to be my launch Mm -hmm. events, and I lost them because they all got canceled. Um, So my book launch was virtual, um, and that was kind of hard to do that. And then a lot of projects got paused because a lot of places weren't doing testing or they weren't sure whether or not that's what they wanted to focus on right now or like to keep their own employees. Why hire a contractor? Um, And so things sort of naturally paused Mm -hmm. a little bit, which Mm -hmm. was I, I'm lucky enough that that didn't end my world um, because I I was able to. And it worked out because I needed to watch my son because we needed to keep mm-hmm. him home. Um, and so it I'm still doing it and I have to follow up. And now I have to kind of cold call email mm-hmm. people that I know already. It's, it's very <laughs> awkward uh, where it's like, hey, I'm still here. Are you? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Um, there, are there any platforms that you're using, like uh, in particular, that, that you feel are being helpful, or is is it mostly cold calling, like you're saying, and or cold emailing people? Um, I would say it's mostly LinkedIn, um, because that's where I got started, um, and I still have those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for my book, it's uh, Instagram, okay. Um, okay. and that's. Something I learned through all of graduate school and all of this is that um, that you have to adapt and pivot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like things change, and you need to figure out the next new thing. And with no conferences and no live book readings, what are your options? Um, and so that was Instagram, and it was building um, kind of. It's not a persona because it's really me. Um, I'm honest and myself on it. So, but it's like building um, a, an author mm-hmm, account mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and learning all that, like I learned how to use Canva and later <laughs> and like all these things that I was like, well, what is this? Um, and so that's just been kind of a focus lately as mm-hmm. well. And 
No, I, I always imagine when I'm talking with guests, I'm always thinking of people who are listening to the to the episode, and I imagine that a lot of people that might be listening now might have this idea of okay, yeah, I'm in graduate school, but I would like to because of all this know-how that I have accrued in this specific domain to be able to maybe sell a consulting service like like what you did uh and well you know because we were talking about networking and of course networking is very important for that but where I wanted to go is what advice do you have for people who kind of want to and and you mentioned that there's a lot of stuff happening out there but for someone who's a little bit lost on how to get it started and 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 get, and get the project going do you have any advice for them oh for getting started as a consultant um it is not as easy as it sounds um and you may think that you have a lot of relationships that could result in some projects, but mm-hmm. likely they're not. Um, but they might introduce you to someone who does, and you need to be ready to get a lot of no's. Um, mm-hmm. It takes years to build up. I would say after three years, I was full-time, and it was okay. finally like to where I was thinking, huh, maybe we can expand this a little and take on other people. And uh, then COVID hit, and so like it's, it's scaled back a bit. But um, mm-hmm. it's definitely... You have to make sure your expectations are set appropriately um, and you've got to you've got to be able to have a thick skin that you're going to get a lot of no's and it might hurt your pride a little um, of where because they're if you're a big company, you would rather work with another big company because there's insurance and things like that that they want to make sure you have. And there's just there's a different level that a level of. coverage that they get that way Mm -hmm. um and so to be able to get into bigger places where you have bigger contracts that's that's just something that takes a lot of time and getting in the right places of um it's it was a lot harder than i was expecting (laughs) (laughs) and and so did you start right away by creating a linkedin profile where you tried to gear it towards that or was that or did that come later on I think I had a LinkedIn profile before all of this. Um, I I remember making a website that was not very good, um, but it was something. Um, and I used LinkedIn and I did professional LinkedIn. I paid the extra mm-hmm. to do that so that I could have all the credits to message people that I didn't mm-hmm. know. Um, and I reached out to a friend who had left academia and asked like, hey, when you did this, who did you start mm-hmm. with? Um, and so that's who I that's how I knew there were places that would work mm-hmm. with me with um, just starting this out. Um, and then from there, other people heard about me. Um, I started focusing. Um, American Chemical Society had this great leadership program of where at every conference, they have these free courses you can sign up for. And there are only like 15 people in them. Um, so you have to sign okay. up quickly, uh, but they're free. Um, and they help you work through in three hours, like your mission statement, cool. your vision statement, things like that. And um, I went to one and I came back rejuvenated. It was like, (laughs) oh, I need to switch gears. Um, I was, um, my first website had me, I'll I'll do anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Where It's like, I'll do research, I'll do this, I'll do that. And it made me a Jane of all trades, which was um, in charge of nothing. Like where it was like, what am I an expert in? Um, And so I focused very carefully on what I wanted to do what I'm really good at and what is kind of what the market needed right now. And I redid my website and I focused that and um, then things kind of geared more that way. And I was more Mm -hmm. focused and it was so much better um, because then that's what I was known as. It was Stephanie writes items. She is really good at finding contexts that are unique um, and things like that. So um I still every once in a while get people asking me to do some qualitative research and if it's a cool project that I'm like, oh, I have to know the answer to this or or if it's about ethics. Um, I love talking about IRB <laughs> ethics. Um, it's an oddity of mine, probably because I was part of a study. Um, <laughs> and so I'll say yes to things like yeah. that. So you, you allow yourself to go do something that you're going to have 
some sort of fun and, and pleasure doing. But when you present yourself to to the market, let's say you 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 have a niche that you are aiming at, and I think I think yes. that's a very very good thing to to do because like you were saying if you're a specialist at everything well you're actually a specialist of nothing <laughs> exactly yeah and i came back from that with i've i've actually been trying to find the the chicken scratches from that conference because mm-hmm. i was looking at my website and i was like what did i say from that you know and it's just like um but it it was such a it was one of those pivotal moments of where like it just narrowed things down for me and helped me really drive one, my pricing mm-hmm. of how to set that, because that's difficult to do, especially if you're new yeah. as well, um, knowing how to value yourself. Because, of course, the company doesn't want to pay you <laughs> the highest course, amount. <laughs> they will try to work with you and to gain that confidence and even being able to talk about mm-hmm. your worth. Um, that's actually a very, very good question. And, you know, for even for people, when I, when I, left after my PhD and got my first job, I was a bit lost as to how much I could expect to 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 get. How did you you know, how did you go about find you know, when you were setting your first prices and then me even, you know, like when you started dialing them up, where did you go find that information to base the, the you know those numbers on? What was your process to, to kind of say, okay, I'm comfortable with this and uh, and I won't accept any less, let's say, from from a client. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, I said yes to everything mm-hmm. because it's like I need something to keep this going. And it was um, and I took on things I might not have enjoyed mm-hmm. as much. Um, and I met with an evaluator that had been on one of our okay. projects to kind of ask her how she set her rates. And then I also asked my postdoc advisor and my advi- PhD advisor how they set their consulting rates of when uh, projects ask them to be on a grant, how they set those. Um, and I kind of scaled from mm-hmm. there. Um, I also in the beginning would say, like, can you be honest and give me a range of like, you know, like, what are we talking mm-hmm. about here? How many hours do you expect this to be? Like, and so I got more comfortable asking that question. Um, and then after years of doing it, I now know how long something takes mm-hmm. me. I know my work compared to other places. Um, and I know the value that I'm providing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, I still have to sit and talk to myself sometimes and figure it out. But um, it's, uh it's the hardest part is of being um, a consultant is selling mm-hmm, yourself. Sure. Um, and the hardest part of being an author is selling yourself. Um, it's constantly having to sing your own praises <laughs> as an introvert. It's, it's a very <laughs> odd, odd thing. <laughs> but, well, you mentioned something that I, I kind of expected you to say that, but go be it for, in this case, find, you know, finding your, how much you can charge by talking with people around you who do the same, who 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 are con- doing consulting, and then scaling from that. It's perfect strategy. If you're uh, if you're going into a new domain and you don't know what salary to expect, have an informational or two an informational interview um, with someone who is in the domain and try to gauge from them maybe one two interviews. <laughs> gauge what they gave you and and try to set a number that you're, that you're happy with i guess that would be that would be uh, my advice well and worst case is they well worst case is just a flat out no for sure, for sure. <laughs> um other case would be that they come back and say i'm sorry i can only offer x percent mm-hmm. of that and then it's up to you to say okay well that's that's too low that I'll accept that for this time, but next time, no, or like you, you end up figuring that out yourself. But another good resource was Glassdoor. Yeah. Um, Where they, they like then, can go for different companies and, and see what people are, because people, uh, employees can go there and, and state what salary they're getting. So yeah, for sure. Glassdoor. Yeah. And so if you're doing hourly, you can kind of work it mm-hmm, backwards mm-hmm. from a salary a little bit. It's not the same, but that was a useful tool. And then I think LinkedIn jobs does that okay. as well. Um, so I know that's another place that people could check if you're not sure. Very cool. Stephanie, we're, sadly, we're reaching the end of the interview, but I, I still, uh, one thing I do want is to leave you, uh, the, give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you and also where they can find your book. And if they have kids, also maybe tell us what age range, uh, you know, kids we're talking about. Yeah. 
Um, so my son is four. I don't think we've talked about him. No. <laughs> um, he's four. And when he was small, I was writing items and I was, it was something about matter. I don't mm-hmm. remember, but I was thinking of the uh, classification mm-hmm. of matter chart. Um, and I was like, wait a second, he's sorting things by color. And I want students to sort things by the number of atoms and types of atoms. This is kind mm-hmm. of similar. And I was like, I wonder if there's a way that we could sort using kids' natural mm-hmm. skills in a book. Because I know, like, Chris Ferry has this excellent series. Like, it's all the different subjects for babies. Okay. Um, so, like, astrophysics oh, for my. babies, <laughs> organic chemistry <laughs> for babies. Cool. And they're great, and they get through vocab. Um, and a lot of them are kind of niche um, to the um, uh, to chemists or to whatever field it is. But some of them are not. And I thought, you know, this is... This is this could be something. And I was like, I'm going to map out all the different content that I think could work this way. So I have a few different books in, in my head. But one of them, my pet project, I got illustrated and we had a Kickstarter mm-hmm. and okay. it went off um, and it it got published and it's now available on Amazon and all bookstores and through the distributor, um, which is a whole process <laughs> I never knew existed behind the scenes of things, um, having a distributor and a publicist and all that. Um, the book, I actually was reading my Amazon reviews yesterday and someone had a 10-year-old who really okay. liked it. And they said they thought I should recommend changing the age from zero to six to zero okay. to 10. And I was like, well, that's interesting to hear. Um so the book has layers um, to where you can just look at pictures and talk about surface features. Like these are all red. This is blue. Um, or you could get into depth and talk about the chemistry that's off on the mm. other side of the okay. page. Um, and I worked with a developmental editor to uh, make it more accessible to parents who are not scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, because my non-scientist husband told me he read it yeah. and was like, this is so off-putting. <laughs> it made me feel stupid. <laughs> Um, and he was like, you can't do that if you don't want to just sell to mm-hmm. chemists. And I was like, okay, because I I really want everyone to see the utility mm-hmm. of science, um, not just chemists um, and not just rich people who can afford books and projects for their kids. Like, I want this to be a normalized thing. And so I worked and I got this out and I made the ebook super cheap. So it's very accessible. Cool. Um, and I give discounts to schools. Um, so it was definitely... Um, it was cool, mm-hmm. and that's where people can find me right now. Um, is uh, promoting that? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember whether you you mentioned the title of the book. Can you just say it again, please? Oh, yeah, it's called "Let's Learn About Chemistry," um, and it's a nonfiction STEM board book that is has beautiful illustrations, and it's based on four real children. One of them being my own child, Charlie. And three of his friends. Um, they're a diverse group of kids, and it's their real favorite toys. And the illustrator used their likenesses and everything. So it's this very interactive and engaging book um, that I hope everybody will really like. Excellent. And are you on Twitter? You already said on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's Let's Learn About Science. Um, and I post daily on it. Uh, sometimes it's just life as a parent, but, um, sometimes it's science experiments and homeschooling with my kid. Um, very timely. (laughs) Then Yeah. Um, and then I have a Twitter account. I'm a little less active on there, but, um, it's, uh, let's learn sci, Mm -hmm. uh, cause it's uh, shorter. Um, it's on Facebook Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then my my business website, <laughs> which isn't really my side project, it's just because of coronavirus, mm-hmm. it seems to be. Um, but my business is RyanEducationConsulting.com. Uh, um, and so that's where people can find me there and on LinkedIn, just as myself. Um, yeah, on LinkedIn, uh, if you're listening, uh, she uh, Stephanie is there as Stephanie Ryan, PhD. Because there's other Stephanie Ryans I, I found out today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so... It's funny. I think I'm Stephanie AC oh, Ryan on there, maybe. and it makes my Skype name um, Stephanie O'Brien, <laughs> <laughs> and it's my middle name, my okay, two middle okay, initials. Okay. And I was like, "Well, at least I'm memorable." <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, uh, it was really a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to share all of these uh, links uh, on on the show notes of the episode. Uh, so today, yeah, we talked about uh, going through graduate school and deciding to switch gears, which is uh, which happens to a lot of people, especially between masters and PhD. Um, it, it was really interesting to hear your experience 
of dealing with with this this health situation that you were not expecting and how uh, you know people around you uh, helped you there was some serendipity in uh, in being at an at a, <laughs> an institute where close by there was a study going on there was uh, i was so totally my mind was blown with that <laughs> uh, we also um, talked about going to the postdoc and then deciding to go into consulting i think there was a, a lot of especially in this part uh, of the of go getting into that profession um, a lot of great insights and and uh, tips and, and tricks so i hope that the, you who are listening have been taking notes if you want to go into consulting and are in your masters or in your phd because um, it was a lot of really really great uh, content and great great uh, advice in there so thank you for having been on on the show stephanie yeah and thank you so much for having me and that's it for this week thanks for listening to the end I hope Stephanie's story touched you and inspired you to reach outside your comfort zone and start having conversations with new people and about new things. If you enjoyed the interview, share this episode with your friends. They will surely enjoy it too. And now, it's that time when I offer you new sciencey podcasts to discover. Today, you will hear the trailer for Planthropology, a podcast about plants, their place in our life, and the people who study them, and for Dear Grad Student a podcast about life in graduate school, produced and hosted by a graduate student. Roll the tape. Do you love plants? Don't be silly. Of course you do. You might just not know it yet. I'm Vikram Baliga, the host of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some really cool plant people. Join me each episode as I chat with students, scientists, and professionals in the natural sciences and figure out what keeps them coming back for more. We'll explore their work, the ways they got into their fields, why they love plants and nature so much, and why you should love those things too. Planthropology is laid back and conversational and will keep you laughing and engaged whether you're a scientist or not. Follow along for this adventure into the sciences and keep being really cool plant people. Hi, I'm Alana, and I'm a fourth-year PhD student. I'm more than likely re-editing that manuscript for the 22nd time, or maybe I'm in my fourth Zoom meeting today. Who can tell? But mostly, I'm probably working on my podcast. It's called Dear Grad Student, and it's a podcast for grad students to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through grad school. Each week, I interview other grad students and academics about their experience from imposter syndrome, psychom, dealing with mentors, racism in academia, or, you know, all the other joys that come along with grad school. Not a grad student? Maybe you're thinking about grad school. Maybe you just finished and you really want to reminisce about the painfully glorious days. Either way, I think you should come check it out. You can find the podcast at deargradstudent.buzzsprout.com, twitter.com slash deargradstudent, or on your favorite podcast app. New episodes are posted every Monday. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. And that's it for this episode of Papa PhD. Thanks for tuning in, happy sharing, and see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music